0: If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Health Care for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.
1: You will hear this patient, felt, um, you know, um, dropped out of the study. And I remember times thinking to myself, why would somebody drop off of a study if you're getting treatment that might cure you? But I, honest to God, I think if I had to go more than six months, I don't know if I could have done it.
2: Welcome to the Nurse Wellness Podcast, empowering nurses to manage stressors so they can intentionally reconnect with their purpose, optimize their wellness, and ultimately show up in the world the way they wanna be seen. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Wendy Garvin-Mayo, your stress solution strategist. In this podcast, you'll receive actionable stress management tips, insightful interviews, and strategies that focus on inspiring you To be your best, do your best, and give your best. With that, let's get started. Hi, Valerie. Welcome to the Wellness Platform. How are you today?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: Oh, you're more than welcome. So excited that you're here and so excited for you to share your story with our listeners and viewers. So, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Okay. So, my name is Valerie. I um I'm gonna say for a, a mom, that's probably the the biggest thing. Um a wife and a grandmother, I have two uh young granddaughters. Um I am currently on medical leave, but I worked at I work at Johnson Johnson. I'm not sure of the audience so I work at Johnson and Johnson in, in ironically in oncology. So um, you know, it just brought my my day to day work life in right into the forefront for me. Um uh so right now I'm at, I you know I enjoy things at home I'm I'm here with my husband who's retired um and we like to spend time together outside walking shopping <laughs> um yeah
2: and Valerie and I work together at Johnson, Johnson and Johnson I have to tell you all cuz many of you probably don't know her but she's a great dancer <laughs> <laughs>
1: You notice I didn't say that myself, right? You notice that that did, that did not come from me. <laughs>
2: no, my last memory of you, when I was a scientist, we had an in-person meeting and we were dancing on the dance floor. And I remember they, the people were dancing, but I remember there was a time, which just you and I on there dancing, but Valerie is a great dancer. So,
1: that's you know, the- life is short. You got to have fun. You got to make sure you Absolutely. enjoy it. Right. Yeah. yeah.
2: Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being here. And why don't you tell us your story of um, how you were diagnosed with breast cancer, what happened before the diagnosis leading up to the diagnosis?
1: Okay, sure. Uh, So um, I would have my yearly mammograms, you know, uh, routinely, but um, this particular time, it was probably um, maybe November, October, November of 2023, uh, in the I found the lump and it was so huge that I couldn't miss it. Just, I wasn't looking for it. Um, It wasn't a self-exam, but it was so large that just in showering, I found it. Um, and, um, so when I first found it, I really didn't think anything of it because years ago as a younger woman, I had several benign cysts that were removed, um, and, and they were not problematic at all. So when I first felt it, I thought, Oh, here it comes again, all these years later, it's back to haunt me again. And so I have to say, I didn't put any urgency behind moving forward. I knew I needed to do something with it but I didn't really put urgency behind it. Right. I thought, Oh, I'll just call and make it a point when I think of it. And, you know, each day would go by and I didn't do, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Um, and so finally I, you know, I got it done and, um, and I, I went, uh, to have the, um, diagnostic done. My, my primary care physician ordered a diagnostic. And so, you know, I went in and they said, um, 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 oh, we're, we need to do a biopsy. So, I'm still as I go through this, I'm thinking, okay, I have to do a biopsy, no big deal. Um, and um, so this was the beginning of this year now when all these when I finally got the, the series of appointments in place. Um, and I still never thought anything of it. Um, and um, um, a couple of days, a couple of days later, I get a call from the hospital and um, someone called me and I, I just will never forget those words. They still at night, sometimes I hear them. I just could hear her say, I'm so sorry, dear. And, um, but the whole concept for me was so foreign that it, as she was telling me on the phone, I, I couldn't believe it. I kept saying, I kept saying, you're kidding me, right? You're, you're kidding me. Right? And I'm saying to myself, Valerie, who would kid you like this? No one Stop saying it, but I couldn't stop saying it because for some reason in my mind, I, I thought I was exempt, I guess. And I also thought, um, that it was, I had self-diagnosed. It was no big deal. It was a benign, uh, cyst. So when she told me this, I just, it just didn't compute. And, um, um in those first few moments you know that my immediate first thought was was um my my daughter um and my granddaughters and I thought oh my god I'm never gonna I'm never gonna see them dance uh, in the you know be ballerinas or whatever it was my first thought that I went from disbelief to not only did I didn't I believed it but I also thought oh by the end of the year I'll be gone and in my head I'm not an overly dramatic person but in my mind for some reason, I just thought that that's what I thought. And I, and it was horrible. And I just cried and cried and cried for several days. I just sat in in my house. I didn't get dressed or anything. Um, uh, and it just took a really long time for me to wrap my, my, my hands around it and accept that it would, this was me. Um, and my, my mother, um, had given me a photo of myself as a young girl, um, and it sits on, I like pictures, so it sits on my table downstairs. And I, I couldn't look at that picture of the young Valerie because I thought, and it's so weird now when I think about it, but that looking at that picture, I just thought that little girl doesn't know what's ahead for it. and I couldn't stand to look at it. I told my husband, we have to put it away. I can't look at it anymore. Um, it just was a really, really rough time in the beginning. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, thank you so much for sharing that. And you said so many key things there. Um, One is that you were in the shower and you were kind of like self-diagnosing, like, okay, Mm -hmm. yeah, I have a lump and never thinking anything of it. Uh, But you said it was big and then, you know, um, getting it checked out. But uh, your reaction to the phone call, um, I think is very interesting because like you work in oncology, we know about cancer, you know people with cancer, but it's like, not me, right? Like
1: exactly, exactly. Like,
2: what are you saying? Like what? Mm-hmm. Like you know, um and, and that's the thing I always tell, like um you know, healthcare providers is that you know, as an oncology nurse practitioner, we do it. We do it all the time. We're talking about it. We're, we're treating it. We're doing all the things. But when it comes to talking to a patient for the first time, this is so life changing. Mm-hmm. It should not be taken so lightly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like when you hear those words leaving someone's mouth to your ears, it's kind of like, wait a minute, like yeah. automatically you start thinking, well, and that's like, can't, like the C word, right? That people say, you don't want to yes. say, it. you mm-hmm. just think equate mm-hmm. cancer to death, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, even though there are so many treatments and and right. come, but I think that that's definitely a normal reaction. I think mm-hmm. you know, to say, yeah.
1: Um, and I, I wonder for myself, if I had waited longer. So at my time of di- diagnosis, I was stage two, but sometimes I wonder what would have happened if I would have just backburned it until I was like, would I have been stage three or worse, you know? Um, so it, Definitely taught me a lesson, and that's something that I like to share. I want to make sure that I share because I was so convinced it was nothing. Um, and so I think that's important for other people to note that we have to let the professionals and the experts, and even if we are ourselves, sometimes we are the worst ones, right? We have to make sure we let someone else do their job with us, right? So,
2: yeah. Did you mm-hmm. share it with anyone else before you went to the doctor? Did you share it with like your husband, a friend? Yeah. You did. Yeah. What was their reaction?
1: So I, when I, I told my, so I told my husband and, and I told my daughter and my daughter's immediate, my my husband didn't react at first, but my daughter's immediate reaction was, Oh God, that's what she said to me. But then even she calmed down because she remembered that I had, had gone through this twice younger and herself when she was 18 had a benign cyst removed. Mm -hmm. So I think we all were kind of lulled into this false sense of security Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then as you go through the process and you do like the scan, the mammogram and then the scan and then the biopsy, and you have to keep going to each step, there's a little voice in my head saying, Oh, I thought by now I would have, you know, we would have opted out because we would have said, Oh, it's nothing. So we got all the way to the biopsy. I'm thinking, Oh, there was a little voice that said, wow, this is going all the way to the end. Right. Um, but I still didn't think it would be me. I just thought it was that in turn. Yeah.
2: And it was like a different it's different this time. Like, wait a minute, it's taking a little longer, right? Mm-hmm, like a mm-hmm. process. So mm-hmm. I think that's really important too, that um you know you, you actually seek out even if if it's small, right? If if it's not right. big, if it's something that's abnormal. Right. Um, Definitely get it checked out. And that's why I always uh I advocate for doing breast exams or even just knowing your breasts, right? Let's let's Mm -hmm. let this breast exams, but Mm -hmm. knowing your breasts, knowing your body, and if something's off, get it checked out and let the professionals say there's nothing right. You know, let
1: the professionals that let the professionals do their thing, right. Yeah.
2: Yes, no, absolutely. And then, um, so you were diagnosed and, you know, um, in the picture, your, your, the, the picture um, story you said was very interesting about the little girl didn't know what was ahead. I thought that was very powerful. Very, very powerful. Um, did you have any genetic testing?
1: I did not. And I still have the option to get it done, but I have not done it. I I had a conversation with them about that. And they asked me my history and um, uh, my family history with breast cancer. And I'm not an immediate candidate for it because my mother did not have it. My sister does not have it. And I am. Um, And so they said, you know, you have to have those, one of those components, you know, to put you in that um, wrong. but I, but the option is still there because my family does have some history of, um, my sister has something called carcinoid tumors, um, which is kind of intestinal. Um, so I could go that route and then they would throw in the breast cancer, but on its own, I'm not a candidate.
2: Okay. Okay. And where are you now? Like what kind of treatment did you go through and where are you now?
1: So, um, I started off with, um, six rounds of chemo. I've completed that. I just completed um, a a month of radiation. Um, I also had surgery. Um, I had a lumpectomy, not a mastectomy. Um, And I'm still getting targeted uh, treatment um, that will continue um, until February. So that treatment is for a year. So I have HER2 positive breast cancer. So the targeted therapy um, is a one-year regimen. um, Yeah. So that's every three weeks IV infusion, Uh, but I'm doing well now. You know, I think everybody knows the worst part of it was the chemo. I mean, and I don't know how I don't know how I got through that. And you know, oftentimes at work, you will hear. This patient felt, um, you know, um, dropped out of the study. And I remember times thinking to myself, "Why would somebody drop off of a study if you're getting treatment that might cure you?" But I, honest to God, I think if I had to go more than six months, I don't know if I could have done it. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I had it in me. Um, I just would. It, it, the pain was excruciating. There were days I was screaming for my husband, "Please help me! Please make this pain go away!" Um, just the overall sickness, and I couldn't eat any food, and I I'd have sores in my mouth. I couldn't, I couldn't, there were most foods I couldn't eat unless it was very, very bland because the sores in my mouth were so bad. I could, it was hard to even speak. It just was horrific. Um, uh, and I feel like just when you, you were about at your wit's end, then I was finished with the chemo. So thank goodness.
2: Yeah. So now you have a different perspective of looking at people on the For study sure. we work in research and development. So that For sure. we, we would be an advocate, you know, when you get back to work to say you, mm-hmm. now you're, perspective of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the patient's experience.
1: Um, I totally get it. I totally get it. And I think another, another thing that um, came to mind for me is to make sure um, that in your early, in the early days of your diagnosis, that you can get whatever information, as much information available to you as possible. Because what I found out that in the absence of information, your brain starts to fill in on its own. Mm. Um, and whether it's, accurate or not, it fills in and, um, you, and, and, and it's, and it's not pleasant thoughts. So, so I think as much information upfront that you can get from the, from your caregiver, um, is helpful because I think, you know, for me in the beginning, um, I was diagnosed in a, in a, um, a local hospital, um, you know, um, one of these like neighborhood hospitals. Uh, and I, and, and there just was not a sense of urgency there. I went for the longest time, um, that I didn't see anyone, um, that I didn't know my stage. Um, you know, so like I said, I, my brain started to fill in. Um, and then I, you know, I transferred. thank goodness that I work where I work and everyone helped me to find someone there at Penn. Um, and, and they were so more, so much more aggressive, you know, in the early days, boom, boom, boom. We're gonna get, you know, we're gonna get tested. Um, I remember being at, at my local hospital and there was some, something under my armpit when they did the biopsy that they didn't like. And they were, I could hear them like doing the scan and, the, and they kept saying, well, do you see that under the pit? Do you see that, look at the right side, now look at the, and they were going back and forth and back and forth but no one ever said anything to me. Mm-hmm. I went to Penn and inside of the first week, they said, we we think the cancer might be in your lymph nodes. Well, I mean, I didn't wanna hear that, but obviously if I needed to hear it, I wanted to hear it. And I was thinking, when were these other people gonna tell me that, you know, that it was suspicious? Like they just looked at it and went, ah, you know, and that I never heard another word. So you have to be in the right place. You have to be with people that are aggressive, that are gonna get the ans- the questions answered quickly. I mean, those to me were some of the standout things. Yeah,
2: I think that is so important because many times people are treated by their community hospital or local hospital, or they have their doctor um, Mm -hmm. and they don't want to hurt the doctor's feelings, Mm -hmm. right? When Mm -hmm. you're dealing with your health, it's always important to feel comfortable. It's urgent, right? We're talking about cancer. And get a second opinion at an academic institution or people who specialize in this. It's mm-hmm. not about feelings, it's about getting the treatment that you want. And you also have something else that was very important, the people you work with. So you had to go and say something that something's not right or I need, you know, so sharing your story, asking mm-hmm. for help, asking for recommendations, using your resources is so important in a time like this or, or any anything, right? If you if you're sick, right. or if you're feeling well, if it's cancer, but saying, "Hey, I know you're in oncology. What do you think? Right. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. You know,
2: mm-hmm. Not feeling ashamed. I know sometimes people feel ashamed. They don't want to bother people or, you know, but no, this is, you, you need to bother people. Um,
1: and make yourself a priority. Right. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Valerie, is there anything you would say to healthcare professionals in oncology um, that we could be doing differently or better to help In terms of the diagnosis, the treatment, where you are now, is there anything, any experience you had that you're like, hmm, this could have been done a little better for someone, the next patient coming in?
1: I don't know if I had anything that I, that I would say could be done better, but I think the things that were done for me that were important um, and that I would wish for everyone would be that sense of urgency Um, and once I got to the right place, I mean, my first appointment was with the breast surgeon, She, you know, and, and the oncologist and they mapped out my treat. I knew from day one what my treatment plan was going to be. They also talked to me about, you know, the type of cancer I had and, and, and the, you know, um, the likelihood of success. And, um, and I think that was really important, um, because you do have all these questions and you want to get answers. Um, and I think that's super duper important. Also, I think what's important is, um, that to make sure that they are going to look at the whole person. And I mean, obviously the cancer is important, right. But they look at the whole, I, I, when I walked in, I'm also diabetic and I'm a chronic hypertensive. So I was wondering, how am I going to manage all this? How am I going to manage my diabetes? How am I going to manage my blood pressure? And so on my first appointment, they said to me, um, do you have a cardiologist? I said, yes, I do. And they said, well, we want to replace your cardiologist with our cardiologist who is experienced with these, um, cardiac agents that were, cause you know, we're going to hit you with some big, some big agents. And many of these can have cardiac implications. And so we want to make sure that you don't just have a cardiologist, but you have an, a cardio, cardio oncologist. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was super duper important because, um, yeah, what if that would have been a problem? You know what I mean? And so I think those are the things that you want to, um, to make sure that the caregiver really listens to every care provider listen to every issue that you have and that they focus on the entire person and not just specifically the cancer
2: yeah absolutely that holistic approach is so right important. Mm-hmm. and they're not just treating the cancer or your breasts but even your right. right did right. you offer it any like therapy or seeing a social worker because that's a huge thing in oncology where patients don't feel like that's addressed you yeah
1: I was offered a social worker within the first week. Um, uh, and I suffer from anxiety. Um, oh. so this set my anxiety right through the roof. I was having panic attacks. I was not sleeping. Um, and they did set me up with, um, with, uh, I say mental health, but it was a team of folks there at Penn that I was able to meet with. And it was really great because I it was, vir- I could do it virtual. So I didn't have to go down there. Um, and, I thought they were amazing because, um, they helped me to uncover some issues that were inside that I didn't realize that were there and only surfaced after, you know, talking with them and speaking to them and talking through things. And, you know, one of the things that I didn't realize that I was obsessing over was the fact that I have a year's worth of treatment and I was worried that I would become a burden to those around me because mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's, you know, if somebody has the flu, okay, I'll be, you know, I'll be over for the week and I'll sit with you. I'll bring you, but a uh, whole year I was thinking who the hell is going to stay in this fight with me for a year. Um, and, and that was something that I was worried about, but it di- I didn't even really, I wasn't able to articulate it until I met with them and they helped me to ar- articulate it. And so we were able to work through those things. Yeah.
2: That's amazing. Well, kudos to Penn. They're doing it right. I love mm-hmm. that. I love that. Mm-hmm said the cardiologist, then they did hook it with someone, so Penn is doing it right, so kudos, kudos, kudos to them, awesome, well, Valley, I know that because you are who you are and you're an r and d last time I talked to you, you were going to a conference
1: <laughs> yes, 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 um, so I did get I received a care package I, many care packages, but one of them was from an organization called the Pennsylvania Coalition for breast cancer um and um it was a really nice packet, had information and had, you know, creams and lotions and potions and lip, you know, chapstick and all those things. And then I got an invitation in the mail to their conference and they said they would sponsor me for the conference. Well, all along I had been thinking, so I'm, I, I feel like I'm really, really fortunate. I got through the chemo. That was the worst part of it. Um, I, I didn't mention I had my surgery, had a lumpectomy. My margins were clear, no evidence of uh, cancer in the surrounding tissue, so you know I'm gonna win this fight and I thought I can't just go, okay, thanks everyone for helping me. Good luck, everybody else and and say I'm out right I can't uh, I feel like I was put on this journey for a reason um and the fact that I'm able to um i always I always struggle with how to articulate this um I'm not happy that I got the cancer, but I feel fortunate that I did because I was able to go through this dark period, but I'm able to emerge from it and I can, then I can take from it all of my lessons. Right. And, and, and I feel at this point, I appreciate life more. The air smells sweeter, food tastes better. I'm going to appreciate those around me. Say what I have to say to people, you know, I'm not going to take things for granted. Like, I think we all fall into that pattern. So I'm very fortunate to have gone through this and to have learned from it. And it's something that's going to stay with me forever. And I feel like I have this armor now that from it. And so what I went into this conference thinking, I don't, I, I want to go in obviously to learn things, but I also want to network and I want to figure out how I can get involved, um, and help somebody else. And so, um, I went there and I met, so the woman who started this organization, it was this year was the 30th anniversary. So it was really, it was a really amazing. And they had, they had folks from Harrisburg there that had helped with legislation to help, you know, underserved patients and, you know, just all this important legislation. I thought, oh my God. So I, I left my name with the woman who Founded the organization, and she called me, and so I told her the story. I said I have to do something, so we're going to meet and in, in November. And she said, "I want to buy you lunch, and I want to, I want to hear your story, and I want to talk about how we're going to insert you into this." October, of course, being Breast Cancer Month, is Awareness Month, is a bit busy, so we're going to let her get through it. But I'm super, super pumped about it. And then right after I, I, I came, I spoke to many women there. Um, and it just was really, it was just really, really wonderful, you know? Um, and then I was shopping with my husband in Marshalls. Um, and I have, I wear a pin that I got from that conference, you know, the ribbon, the pink ribbon. So the cashier said to me, oh, do you have breast cancer? And I said, yeah. Uh, and she asked me, I said, I'm currently in treatment, blah, blah, blah. And she said, well, what would you say to somebody who, um, is diagnosed. She's worried about losing her hair. She's worried, you know, she's like losing her hair. Um, and it's bothering her. And I said, I would tell her, she said, I want to encourage her. And I said, I would tell her, um, that she should consider that her badge of honor as she fights through this war. And she said, Oh, I think that's great. And she goes, well, would you do me a favor? Would you mind talking to her? And she said, she works here. She's in the fitting room. Would you mind talking to her? So I went and I introduced myself to her. And so we had a conversation and I talked to her. We talked about the hair loss. She was like, mine's coming back. But I mean, it, it is, it was a blow. I talked to her about that. But I, you know, um, I told her, you know, about how, you know, I hated, I cried and cried and cried. I got to keep it real. But I got through it. Um, and, um, and then it became not so bad, right? Because I, I kind of wear this proudly now. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I left from talking to her talking to her, I went out to my husband. I said This is what I want to do And she hugged me when I was done when we were done and she thanked me and that's what I want to do I want to share my story with people I want to encourage people because I don't want to say oh don't worry about losing your hair It's no big deal. That's what I heard your hair is not you but guess what (laughs) You know, but guess what? I mean, I appreciated those words but I bawled my eyes out. So I mean, and I feel like, so I can legitimately come to somebody and say, yeah, it does hurt like hell to lose your hair. And you look in the mirror and you don't recognize that person, but here are the things, you know, here are the things I got from it, you know, um, and here's how I got through it. And so I think that would help me to help somebody else.
2: I love it. I love it. And it all started with the pen.
1: Yes. Yes.
2: That's amazing. That's Mm -hmm. amazing. And I'm sure you shifted her life, you know, just by
1: having
2: that conversation with her. So that, that is amazing. I love that. Uh, Um, For for me,
1: it, It's my badge of honor that I've gone through this. You know, I, you know, some people, I know my my dad had cancer years ago and he didn't like, it was the C word, like he said, he didn't like to talk about it. And I feel like I can't keep it a secret because I was so encouraged by people sharing their stories with me when I was diagnosed. I love to hear somebody would say like, you know, I'm a 10 year breast cancer. I mean, I wanted to hear it. So I, I benefited from that. So I, What, you know, I would have missed out on that if somebody, if everyone kept it as their secret, I definitely, I don't want to, I don't want to gatekeep it. I want to share it, you know?
2: Yes. What would you say to women out there who have breast cancer and they're not telling anyone, they're going through it by themselves?
1: Yeah. I, I would say that I think it's therapeutic to share it, right? Because when you, you bottle that up and you, you, you need to have an outlet for your fears to Even if just to share your thoughts, um, to be on the receiving end of somebody's kindness, I have to tell you, just the kindness of others has really touched me. And if I had kept it to myself, I would not have had those words. I have friends that check in and just want to call and, and you know, they want to share something funny with you, give you something to laugh about or whatever. You, I think you miss out on all that, on what you can give to somebody else and also what they can give to you um, when you just keep it all inside. Um, and I, I, it doesn't, to me, I don't think it's healthy. It just feels so much better if you can share it and share a word with someone else. And, and then you you find out about things uh, from people that you might see someone that you didn't know that you don't know went through the same thing as you. And by letting them know that you're, that you're in this war. Um, and I I feel like it's a, it's, it's a, it is a war and we are all, um, you know, we are battling in this war and we all have something we can contribute if we just speak up and speak out. So,
2: yeah, absolutely. And what I hear too, is like, you don't have to do it alone. Right. You don't have to do it alone. It may seem scary, but you don't have to do it alone because as people, we, we need community. We need, you know, family, friends, you need that hug. You need Mm -hmm. that person to just have a good cry. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're not in it alone, even though you may feel like you're alone. But but you're not alone. And I also like to say that you know when you are diagnosed with cancer, it's life changing. So I think your identities get a little um, blurred because you sure. see yourself as right,
0: yeah, yeah.
2: Not person anymore. But then how how do I show up? And then, right. you know, so it's like all these things, but you know, you don't have to go through it by yourself. And that's why I think it's so important to have like the social workers or oh. a mental health professional there to help you kind of uncover um, different things. So, so that is great. Well, it's Gally, like a
1: whole village. It's like a whole yeah. village that you need to support you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. How's your family uh, dealing with everything? How, how are they doing?
1: Well, I would not have gotten through this without without them. I, my daughter is married um and so um she lives in Maryland. My son-in-law is in the army, but they were here a lot. My I have to tell you my rock was my husband. So it was just him and I, I only have one child. It was him and I and he has seen the worst of it because he's here 24/7 and Uh, He has never missed an appointment. Uh, My friends have all come around and said, hey, chemo, you have chemo, let us, we'll sit with you. And they would say to him, you don't have to go every day. We'll sit with you and we'll sit with Valerie. You take a break if you want to go and get something to eat. And he would not, he did not give up a day. When we were in the chair, he would not even leave. Like, you know, the early days... I was easily there six, seven hours. And I would say to him, why don't you go somewhere and come back? He would not budge. He would not budge. Middle of the night, screaming, throwing up, whatever. He was there. He was my rock. And even when I um, was sharing with the um, the mental health group about me uh, being afraid that I was going to be a burden, he was inappropriately eavesdropping on my conversation. But he came to me and he said, you know, you will never be a burden you know, this, we, we said, when we said, I do, we said, you know, for better or for worse sickness and health. And so this is, we're going through it. And I feel like, yeah, we, we battled this together. Yeah.
2: I love that. I love that. That's amazing. I want to hug
1: him. (laughs) (laughs) He would deserve it. He deserves it. Yeah.
2: That's awesome. Well, Valerie, thank you so much for coming. Sure your story and, um, shining the light on the importance of breast cancer awareness, diagnosis, treatment, support. Is there anything else you want to tell our listeners or viewers before we, um, adjourn?
1: I just want to say, get your mammograms, (laughs) get your mammograms and encourage your friends, you know, um, your relatives make sure everybody does and if you have to hound them it it and even if they get annoyed with you it's worth it right um so that w- that would be what i would tell pe- folks to do
2: awesome and valley if somebody wants to reach out to you how can they get in contact with you
1: oh okay um sure um anybody that wants to talk to me happy to talk so they can email me or they can text me um i mean should i what do you want me to share now here like this hey, the- you're
2: or I can put it in the show notes, but they can email you. What's your email address?
1: Yeah. So I at work, I, I, my, I can't, I'm on medical leave and, and my computer is shut down. I can't do that. So it's my home, my personal email for now while I'm on medical leave. So that is V as in Valerie, M-C-P as in Peter, H-E-7104 at AOL. Or they can text me and my cell is 610 610- two nine, nine, one, seven, nine, nine. I almost always have myself, uh, at my side. So, and I'm happy awesome. to talk to anyone about anything I have. I, I don't have any taboo topics. If there's something I haven't covered that somebody has a question about, I'm happy to share because that's, that is what helps.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I know you're going to shift so many lives just by doing this interview here. So we appreciate it and we'll definitely have to have you back.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me anytime. I mean, you know, this is, this is what I want to do, you know? So.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Valerie. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend. Before you go, I would love to share a free stress management resource with you. Go to stressblueprint.com and download your free copy of the three questions to ask when you are stressed. Until next time, Go out and be your best, do your best, and give your best.
0: If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Health Care for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.